You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. Uh, I want to talk about three things here real quickly before we jump into the sermon this morning. First of all, uh, after the art sermon, a lot of you submitted art to me, and it's awesome. Like, it's pictures and, and uh, photographs, paintings, poems, song, like songs that you had written. It was, it was really amazing. Like, some of the stuff is, like, inc- I was like, wow. Like, I had no idea. I had no idea that there was so much... Um, artistic talent in our congregation. And, and what you see when you walk in, there's a little display there of some of the stuff that we got, um, that we got to put up on the wall. Here's the problem. Um, when you send me an email with like 30 or 40 pictures in it, um, the resolution on the photos is so small that we can't blow them up to use them. So a couple of things. Uh, some of those things, like we totally want to use them and we can't because either it's going to be this big on that massive wall or we're going to blow it up and it'll be all pixelated. So if you, if you want to resubmit some of that, I would love that. And then please give it to us in a resolution that we can actually use, probably like 11 by 17 we should blow up and look good there at least. Um, but there, it's incredible. Like it's amazing. I really appreciate it. We got some pictures we have coming up um, about uh, Sermon on the Mount that we had the kids draw in, in children's ministry, which was awesome. I told him, here's, here's what I want you to do. I want you to just say Sermon on the Mount and let him go. There are three distinct categories. We'll show them to you. It's pretty awesome. There's three distinct, like there's a literalist category. There's a moderate category. And then there's the like abstract, like these are just dots on a piece of paper. What do you, how do you get Sermon on the Mount from that? But it's not, it's not mine to interpret, right? It's just, they're, they're artists. So we let them be. But anyway, it's pretty cool. We'll show you some of that stuff. It's been pretty neat. Second thing that I need to talk to you about is Israel. So we have about five spots left in Israel uh, trip. And, and here's what I want to say. If you're like, well, I don't want to, it's coming right to the end and, and I don't want to take somebody else's spot. Here's the deal. Like right now, if we had 10 people sign up, I could add more seats to the trip. In three months, I'm not going to be able to do that. And so if you want to go, there's, there's a flyer on the connection desk on your way out. You can grab one of those um, about it and take a look at that. But if you want to go, you need to get your money on down. Get your spot. There's only 500 bucks to hold your spot. It's your initial investment. And then there's a payment schedule. But uh, if you want to go, I need you to get your name on the list so that we can move forward and do that. It's going to be an awesome trip. It's going to be an awesome trip. The last thing that I need to talk to you about before we get rolling. Um, many of you remember Paul Patterson and Logan Daly were the youth pastors in Moscow and Pullman. And they left here. Um, they abandoned us. No, um, they felt called. We'll see. That's how we spiritualize it. They felt called uh, to go to Missoula and plant a church. And we've been involved in the launch and the ramp up process. Today is launch Sunday for them. And so uh, we, I want to stop and pray for them today uh, as we get started. And hopefully, hopefully by the end of service, we'll have some stats for you that I will be able to share. I texted Paul and said, hey, text me your stats ASAP. We want to know because we're praying for you guys. We want to know how the Sunday went. So maybe you'll get to hear it. Maybe not. Um, I don't know. Uh, and that's really all I care about. But uh, I want to stop and pray for them as we move forward. Let's pray. Lord. Thank you for this amazing um, desire that you have to partner with people to advance the kingdom and to change the world. And Lord, um, your word says that you're looking for faithful people. And Paul and Logan have stepped forward and said that they want to be faithful 
in what you're leading them to do. And so God, for that step of faith, I ask that you would bless them uh, beyond what they even expected. Lord, I pray that you would do such a good thing today in Missoula that as we look at the things that happen, that we would step back and go, oh my word, only God could do this. Uh, We will give you all the glory and all the praise for it. And I pray God today, especially right now, that you would calm Paul's nerves. I know he's pretty anxious about everything. Cover the details, Lord. Help them to remember what they need to remember. And thank you most of all for your son, Jesus, who makes all this work possible. Thank you for your grace, God, in your name. Amen. All right. So, you guys ready to go to work? We're going to look at one of the most confusing passages in the Bible, in my opinion, today. And hopefully we'll shed a little light on it and maybe see what we can learn. So, we're going to jump into Matthew chapter 7 and jump into this and get started. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So straight out of the gate, what God says is, don't have any standards for anybody because then there won't be any standards for you. Hmm. It's close. It's close to what he said. I mean, it's a little off. But it's one of those things that I look at and go, okay, then I'm not ever going to have an opinion about anyone, which may get a little closer to the heart of Jesus than we might consider. So let's, let's read on a little bit and see what, what we can learn here. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? Because when you go in to get it, you'll punch him with your log. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give to dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. That's like, what? That's one of the most un-Jesus-y statements in the whole Bible, right? Like, uh, we'll, we'll pull that apart. We'll take a look at it and see what we're talking about here. But I want to I talk about this whole judging thing. I got to be honest with you. I thought seriously, and I almost did it, about creating, I was going to take a wire hanger and make a little frame to sit on my head and screw in a big log on it and have it, you know, just going to come out and like, what? What's your, what's your problem? But I didn't. I don't know if you noticed, but I didn't, I didn't do that. So, so I was, I was thinking about this, like, What's going on with this speck in the log? What is this? And, and here's what I think is, is happening and why he kind of compares it to judging and we'll, we'll tie all this stuff together because it feels like at one level that the don't throw your pearls to pigs statement is kind of disconnected, but it's actually connected to this passage. And so what's happening here is think about this. When, when you read the Bible and God speaks to you, like whatever it is, he's like, you're like, ooh, that's good. What we immediately try to do with that is to try to measure the rest of the world and how they measure up to this thing that God showed me. And, and when I pick out a point in your life that's wrong, what I'm doing is I'm taking, like let's say that there's this much to know about you. Imagine a circle. There's this much to know about you. And I see you do something, and I figure out this much about you. The psychological term is transference. If, if transference had been defined in the first century, Jesus wouldn't have said speck in a log. He said, you guys are dealing with transference. Knock it off. Um, but it hadn't been defined yet. So this is transference. I find out this much about you, and because of that, I assume all the rest. 
I don't have to actually get to know you. I find out this little piece about you, and then I assume all the rest about you, which, by the way, is sin. It's what the Bible calls that, to treat people like that. That's not okay. And what we do is we do this all the time with people. Like, you, you're a Democrat. Like, liberal tree hugging, don't care about anything moral. Like, you're a Republican? Like, you selfish, don't care about the broken people around you. Like, this is what we do. When we find out this much, and then we assume this much, right? And, And it doesn't work at any level. Like, we know intellectually that's not true, but we do it all the time. We do it all the time. Think about this, David, King David in the Bible. Was he all good, or was he all bad? The, the answer is yes, right? Like, there's some parts about him that were wonderful and awesome, and then there were some parts about him that were kind of, man, that's so good. Solomon, King Solomon, was he all good, or was he all bad? Like, yeah, What about Saul? Ooh, King Saul, bad king. Was he all good or was he all bad? Like, there's some beautiful redeeming things about Saul. And the question is, do we even want to look deep enough to find it? This is the problem with judging. And we all have our books of judgment. We all have them. When I was in high school, there was all kinds of books of judgment, right? Like, are you tall enough? Are you smart enough? Are you athletic enough? Are you whatever? Do you wear the right clothes? Do you smell right? Which in high school is really hard. It's really hard to smell right in high school. There's a lot of hormones going on. Like, you stink even after you shower. Like, it's hard. It's hard to figure that out. Junior high, that was worse, right? Like, here's the thing you need to know about me. I'm pretty scarred by junior high. I quit growing in the eighth grade. So I was 6'3 in a world of five-footers. Like, it was hard. I stood out like a sore thumb. Everywhere I went, I was like, people were commenting, commenting. Like, it's hard. It's hard to carry that stuff. We we have these books of judgment that we carry. And here's what I want to say about your book of judgment. I guarantee you that this is true. Some of it is rooted in the Bible. And some of it isn't. And the problem is we try to blur those lines. Like we try to blur the lines between what's rooted in the Bible and what isn't. That because I call myself a Christian, I can carry this book of judgment even if my judgments about you are not rooted in Scripture. That's okay because I'm a Christian. And what Jesus is saying here is that's wrong. When you start pointing at people, because here's why. Remember, as we've been going through this Sermon on the Mount, what we've been talking about a lot is that the laws that God gives us isn't there for us to check a list off, and it's not there for us to point at the rest of the world to show them where they're wrong. The laws are there so that I can examine my own heart with them. It reveals what's got, what God's like and then how my heart is supposed to be as a result of that. That's what the law's for. The law, the rules are there for me to point inward. And that's why Jesus says, like, don't give to the needy to be seen by men. Because when you do, then the rules just become a checklist. You never get to allow the Holy Spirit to scrub your heart with that generosity. And when you pray, don't pray on the street corner to be seen by men. Because when you do, you don't ever get to pray about the things that are deep enough to actually change your heart. What he says is go in your prayer closet. And Marty showed you what a prayer closet is. You take your prayer shawl and you close it. And the space, this is your prayer closet. This is where we pray. Why? Because then we can get real with God. Then we can talk about the real stuff that's going on. 
When I pray to be seen by men, I'm going to pray as if I have it all together. And he says, you need to work in your prayer time on forgiveness. And in order for you to do that, you got to change everything that's going on in your heart. It seems as if the kingdom of God is built on two pillars, generosity and forgiveness. And these two truths show up again and again and again in the teachings of Jesus. Why? Because they both force me to take the laws of God and turn them inward. Here's the deal. You want to be a part of the kingdom of God? Generosity and forgiveness. These are the two things that we must work on. And I know it's hard, but that's the hard work of the soul. And the invitation of walking with God isn't about being able to fix the world or tell them where they're wrong. The invitation of walking with God is about being able to deal with the wounds in my heart so that I can experience real freedom. Like that's the invitation of walking with the Lord. Now, here and now, I can experience that today. Yes, salvation and the life to come. Yes, of course, I love the song we sang during worship. The roaring lion declared the grave has no grip on me. Like, come on, death doesn't scare me because I got, I got the afterlife secure. Yes, but today I have a God that wants me to know who he is and what he's like so that I can be set free now. And I will never get there if I choose to live my life by my books of judgment. I will never get there like, that's the hard part about this is that judgment invites me to keep my eyes focused on you and where I think you're wrong, which may or may not even be right, where you're wrong, where I think you're wrong and where I think you're right. It may or may not even be accurate, but because it's in my book of judgment, I can keep my eyes focused on you and not in my own heart. And while that feels very convenient, it's also very not Jesus-y. And so what he says is, don't throw your pearls to swine or they might trample on them and turn around and eat you. <laughs> so what we've, well, how we've interpreted this over the years is like, listen, you are worth something. And when people don't get you, they're just, you're just casting pearls before swine. And you just need to understand that some people just aren't worth your time. Right? How is that Jesus-y at all? Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, they just aren't worth your time. I don't find that in the teaching of Jesus at all. In fact, I find Jesus teaching the exact opposite. And so what I thought was that perhaps if we had a live demonstration, (laughs) that we would maybe be able to figure it out. Like, what does Jesus mean when he talks about casting pearls before swine. So I, I, I brought a swine and, and I was thinking maybe, I don't know, did it speak to you? Are you like, oh, maybe not, maybe do it again. Anything? Third time, third, confirmed in the presence of two or three witnesses the third time. Anything? Anything? Anyone? Maybe I'm throwing it wrong. Here, let me me do this. 
Did it work? Did you get it? I feel like that's, if, that's a lot closer to how we interpret the passage. Like throwing pearls to swine is like to hurt them. But maybe I'm, throw it, I'll throw it left-handed. Anything? Anyone? You got it? Anyone? Okay, here's, maybe, a, okay, a little more arc. Anything? Anyone? This feels... Technique. It's, it's got to be my technique. Here, new form. I got a new form here. Here we go. Any, is it speaking to you? I got more. We'll, fi- we'll figure this out. We'll figure this out. Here we go. Maybe I do it like a chess pass in basketball. Maybe I do it like this. Thumbs down. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I know that the McEldry family is getting pelted with. <laughs> this is the last one. So if you don't get it now, we're hopeless. Sidearm. Anything? Anyone? Anyone? Anything? It doesn't feel like this makes any sense at all, right? So what we did there was we just filled three minutes of a sermon with nothing. <laughs> That's what we did. <laughs> Except that you're going to forever remember what I say next. Here's the thing, I have a theory, and I may not have everything solved in this theory, but I think it works, and it's at least contextually and historically accurate. I have a theory. The only place in the Jewish mind where dogs and pigs are connected is in the words that they used to describe Gentiles. Okay? And the pearls for a Jew, pearls are those things that we learn, like when a teacher says something and it's like, oh man, that's good. Or, and you hang on to that. Or when you're reading the Bible and God speaks to you in some way and you're like, oh, I got to hang on to that. Like that, whatever that is, that's a, that's a pearl that God gives you, right? Like that, that's an amazing piece. That's what the pearls are. And what Jesus is saying is don't take those moments that God gave you and try to throw them at people who will not understand what you're saying. Here's another way to understand it. Stop trying to ask non-Christians to act like Christians. They're not. Stop doing it. Because you're not doing your, your testimony, your God, your kingdom. You're not doing it any favors when you require of people things that they don't require of themselves. It doesn't work. Like, you don't have the right to stand back with your pearls that you wrote down in your books of judgment that was for you and be critical. Like, it seems as if the church has adopted this notion that criticism is a spiritual gift. And it's not. Criticism is not of God at any level. So when you find yourself as a follower of Jesus engaging the world from a position of criticism, you're missing your God-given mission entirely. Your purpose is to show them what God's like. That's why Jesus says in John 13, verses 34 and 35, he says, a new command I give you. That's important to know. Love one another. By this will all men know that you are my disciples by your convincing apologetic arguments. By your blog posts and podcasts and truth projects and 
writing of this and that and the other thing. Now listen, I'm not saying give up on truth. Truth has its place. It absolutely does. It just doesn't change the world. What changes the world is how we love one another. That's what Jesus says again and again and again. It's why the the greatest commandment, when they ask him what's the greatest commandment, he gives them two. Why? Because they're inseparably connected. When you walk with God, when you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, it's displayed in loving your neighbor as yourself. And what the question follows up is, who's my neighbor? And he tells a story of a Samaritan who they hate. This isn't about loving people that agree with you. This is about loving the people that don't. And what I can tell you is, it takes real maturity to have a strong opinion about something and love someone who stands on the other side of that opinion. That takes maturity, not compromise, because it's not about giving up your opinion. It's about understanding that loving a human is more important than being right. And it seems to me that the church has tried to get really good at right fighting. And by the way, we're not. We're not good at right fighting because we're way too emotional about it. And first of all, and secondly, because right fighting isn't, like it's not awesome. It's this big yucky, like you may win the battle, but you lose the war. It's this big yucky thing that even if you win, people walk away from it going, I feel like I need to take a shower right now because that was gross. Like we just, truth is important and it matters and your convictions matter. Own it, possess your convictions as your own, live by them, make decisions by them, just understand that convictions, truth, don't change the world, love does. That's what Jesus says again and again and again. And here's why. Because when you show people a God that values them, then the rules that he imposes on their life, they have to understand are there for their good. It's not about getting into heaven and out of hell. It's not about that. It's about understanding that everything that God asks us to do is rooted in his love for us. So they got to understand his love first. Then they can understand the rules in that context. Does that make sense? So don't try to take your spiritual truths that you live by and throw them to people that aren't going to accept them. Love them well and let the spirit of God open up an opportunity for them. One other passage that we might understand a pearl from, and, and this is a little bit, little bit different, but I like it because it fits into what we're talking about here. Matthew chapter 13, Jesus tells a parable. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. So uh, I want to I look at this for just a second and make sure we set the context properly. The kingdom of heaven is what? It's the merchant. This is important. The kingdom of heaven isn't full of a group of people who are finding pearls. The kingdom of heaven is the merchant. Are you with me in this analogy? Like, if you're going to be part of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who, finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Maybe in this context, the understanding of pearls is the pearls aren't so much the truths that we teach, but the people that we love well. And the kingdom of heaven is a merchant looking for those kinds of pearls. There's all kinds of applications for that. Like, why would you take 
you're brand new believers that the kingdom is in such value, holds in such value. I mean, angels throw a party over one sinner saved than they do over 99 people who are already in the fold. Like, why would you take those brand new people and throw them to the dogs and expect them to be able to espouse truth? Why not just free them up to say, listen, we don't have all the answers yet and that's okay. All you gotta do is love well. Just love people well. And then we'll let the Holy Spirit, because here's the thing. I don't know if you know this, but it is not your job to convict the world of sin. It's not your job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. And for the record, the Holy Spirit does it way better than you. <laughs> he does. He does it way better than me. Now, I'm pretty good at it. The Holy Spirit does it better than us. So why not let the Holy Spirit do his job? My job is to put my God on display by loving him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving my neighbor as myself. That's how I put my God on display. And with that in mind, we're going to move towards the Lord's table. So if you're serving communion, I'd love to have you go back and grab that, start passing it out. If you're new with us this morning, we have an open table. And what that means is anybody who's willing to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus with us is invited to partake in communion, but we want you to hold those elements till the end and we'll take them all together, okay? While they're passing that out, we're going to work through a few implications. Implications are simply, based on what we've been talking about, these are things that we hope you take away. Now, there's probably lots of other things that you would take away too, and that's great for your life and your context. Wherever the Holy Spirit's working on you, that's wonderful. These are things that, as we prepared the sermon with our sermon team this week, these are things that we thought were particularly important, okay? Implication number one, the law was given for me to know who God is and what he is inviting me to become. It was not given to me so that I can hold others accountable. Hear me say this. The law was given to me so that I could know who God is, what he's like, and what he's inviting me to become. It is not given to me so that I can hold others accountable. Now, I know that for people who are trying to debunk what I'm saying here, your first thought is, well, like that doesn't even work with your own kids. You gotta have a talk about what the truth is. Absolutely, you have to have a talk about what the truth is, but you were a kid once, and for those of you that are kids in this room, which do you need to know more? Do you need to know that you're okay to your parents, or do you need to know what truths they espouse? Because when you know you're okay with your parents, you're free to hear it. When you don't know that you're okay with your parents and they start dumping truth down your throat, all of a sudden now it's attached to shame and manipulation. And that's not effective. It's not effective. The law was given to me to point inward so that I could scrub my own heart. Not so that I could hold other people accountable. Implication number two, meeting people where they are is more important than telling them where they're wrong. And I'm not saying that you don't ever have that conversation. What I'm saying is empathy is more important than correction. Empathy is this amazing moment where you acknowledge where a person's at and sit in the mud with them rather than trying to stand outside of the mud pit and going, yeah, see, you're in the mud. So wrong to be in the mud. You're dirty there. They already know all those things. They already know all of them. What they need is for you to sit in the mud with them and go, 
Let's get through this together. Meeting people where they are is more important than telling them where they're wrong. And I know that for a lot of you, you're going, what does that look like? And that leads me to my next implication. It takes maturity to have a strong conviction and to love people who don't share that conviction. That's a mark of maturity in your faith that you can hold tightly to what you believe is true and love well people who don't hold to your value system. And that's really hard. It's really hard because what we want to do is correct them. Like, it's freedom of speech. I get to have an opinion. I, I believe in the First Amendment. I can say whatever I want. Well, no, you can't. That's not what freedom of speech is. First of all, freedoms are never given to you to get to, for you to be able to do whatever you want. Freedoms are there for you to do whatever you ought. And as soon as you try to use your freedoms to do whatever you want, you violate the premise of freedom at its foundation and it starts to erode and degrade. Because that's entitlement. I'm free to say whatever I want. No, you're not. Especially not if you call yourself a Christian. You're not free to say whatever you want. But I'm American. Now you're a Christian first. Like, you don't get to do that. What you do is say whatever is of a godly nature. It takes maturity to know the difference. Last implication. God sends his Holy Spirit into the world to convict the world of sin. He sends his children into the world to love well. That's what John 13 says. He sends his, he sends his Holy Spirit into the world to convict the world. He sends his children into the world to love well. So rather than trying to play the role of the Holy Spirit, what we've got to do is to be really, 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 really good at loving people well. And we have to actually do that. And in order to do that, we got to stop pointing them to our own book of judgment. We got to start forgiving them and we got to choose to be generous. All three of these things are key points in understanding how to live well in the kingdom of God. It's one of the reasons why I love taking communion every week because it's this callback, this reminder to us that, man, this is not about pressing my own agenda. It's about laying my life down in order to glorify the Lord, in order to put God on display well to the world. This reminds us that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and said, this is my body which is given for you. So whenever you eat this bread, do in remembrance of me. In the same way after the dinner, he took a cup and he said, this cup, it's a new covenant, my blood which is shed for you. So whenever you drink this cup, do in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Lord, man, I need your grace. And I love being right and I'm convicted and challenged by the invitation to simply love well first. I love being vindicated when I'm wronged. So Lord, teach me to love others well. Teach me to forgive. Teach me to be generous. Thank you for this amazing, challenging, hard teaching. It's not easy to let go of our books of judgment. It takes maturity. 
So Lord, grow us up in you. In your name, amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Real Life. If you'd like more information on who we are, what's happening in our church, and how you can get involved, visit us on Facebook and Twitter, and visit our website, liferotp.com. 